Get off my world. Get off my world. Get off my world. I'm Pat. And I'm Kelvin. And this is Get Off My World. We're three guys and the occasional guest who love the classic Doctor Who series and do our darndest to like the new series, too. We'll take you through five rounds rapid and get to the bottom of what's great and not so great about our favorite show. And tonight, our special guest is Bill Steitler from the Aging Poorly podcast. Hello. Hi, Bill. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Well... As you know, listeners, we like to start every podcast with round one, Temporal Grace, and we say something really positive about the world of Doctor Who, and as our guest, Bill, we will let you start things off. Sure. Uh, I don't follow Doctor Who that closely anymore, but I was super, super happy uh, when the name Tom Baker turned up in my newsfeed, and it was not that he had died, 2016 <laughs> being what it is. Uh, he is doing some voice work for Star Wars Rebels. Uh, I don't know what role he is playing. I don't know what character he's coming in as. But I am super excited because I absolutely love mad old Tom Baker. And I'm super excited to hear more from him. I think he's like a wise old monstrous would... Jedi master. <laughs> I would assume he's like an alien Jedi of some kind. Yeah. But maybe, he... maybe he's the elf king from uh, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's the mouse droid. <laughs> He's a Jawa flips his hood back, and we find it's Tom Baker. <laughs> it's, it's a little, it's a little tiny Tom, Tom Baker. He's got like a giant scarf underneath. The, the actual, the hood is actually the, the whole Jawa kilt. The the thing that they wear is actually just one giant scarf that's just wrapped around him. That's brilliant. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Uh, so I saw Star Trek Beyond a short while ago, mm. and uh, I wanted to give a shout out on this podcast to the Kenyan-born Indian little person actor Deep Roy. Who plays Scotty's blue friend Keenser? I did not in, know that was Deep Roy. That's Deep Roy, yes. Uh, Doctor Who fans will, of course, remember him as Mr. Sin in the Talons of oh, Wang Chiang. Yep. He was only 22 at the time. Uh, but he's had a brief role. Uh, he was also in Mind Warp. And he's had roles in the New Avengers, the X Files, he's in the Dark Crystal, Never Ending Story, mm-hmm. Flash Gordon, The Pink wow. Panther Strikes Again. He's in a ton of stuff. Apparently, he's... a bunch of Tim Burton movies. Yeah. Two different characters in Blake Seven. <laughs> And, of course, Droopy McCool, a member of Jabba the Hutt's Max Rebo house band in Return of the Jedi. Who can forget Droopy McCool? He was Droopy McCool? The Droopy McCool? It's nice to see you know, him I, still getting work. I caught the Max Rebo band in an underground show before they hit really big. <laughs> That's why we have you on the show. Yeah, the... Josh, how about Speaking you? Speaking of absurd stuff, uh, I just recently got the new audio from Bafflegab Productions. Not Big Finish. <laughs> Bafflegab. And it is more of Mr. Tom Baker. Yay. Um, it's a series of audios called Baker's End. Um, they are by Paul Mars, and it is Tom Baker playing himself. And he is at the center of these ridiculous <laughs> mysteries. The first one Amazing. is he's a, he has apparently died, and everyone's coming to his funeral. 
oh. to see him in this oh. tiny little village, and everyone's an absurd character. Oh. He was the star of a unnamed science fiction show, so old <laughs> called actors. Deep Space Roy. <laughs> Deep Space Roy, exactly. <laughs> and it is just it's just a license for both Paul Mars and Tom Baker to just go as oh. over the top and ridiculous as they want. And, and Katie Manning plays his his former co-star from this oh, TV show. So she's she there kind of being the, the main character that's entered into this strange little village and trying to figure it all out. And it is ridiculous and funny. There's nothing <laughs> serious about it at all. I it's called Baker's End. It. Baker's End. Do we, Ordering. Okay, do we later find out that this is a parallel series to The Prisoner? And it's sort of like... <laughs> <laughs> Tom Baker is actually number one, and that's the reason why we never find out, is he's too busy solving mysteries. Calvin, do you have anything to add to this? I, I really enjoyed the... Uh, Four Doctors uh, graphic novel uh, that came out a few months ago with written by Paul Cornell and drawn by Neil Edwards. I just really enjoyed the whole thing. Kevin, I'm going to take you to task here because I'm looking at your cover. It is actually not a graphic novel. It is a comics event. It does say comics <laughs> event on, on the spine like it's a it's a fixed point in time. <laughs> it cannot be changed. What, what did you like about this, Kevin? Um, it, it's just a really... I, he he gets all uh, the the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth doctors' personalities really well. But not uh, the ninth. The the fourth doctor referenced in the title is uh, I, I. Is it a spoiler? It, it, kind of. It can be it can okay. be taken a number of ways. Right. Uh, it's it's a it's a deliberate ambiguity thing. And fourth doctor can be taken a lot of ways. <laughs> really, the fourth doctor is inside all of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it features uh, two companions that I believe only exist in the comics. Mm -hmm. uh, Gabby Gonzalez and Alice... I'm going to mispronounce this. Alice Obifune. Okay. And, and of course, Clara Oswald. And it does... Uh, interestingly, it's the uh, 11th Doctor from a point before he's met Clara. Uh, it's, it's a really complicated story. The, the villains are the Vord. Oh, the Vord. But they're great. They're, like, really amazing in here. They're like the Vord if you cared about them? Yeah, and and there's, I don't know, just a lot of great little Paul Cornell lines in it. Like, one I really enjoyed. Um, the, at one point, the Twelfth Doctor says, Posh Doctor and Baby Doctor seem to think I'm Scary Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so many layers of great. I don't even... <laughs> Okay, for our second round, we're going to ask our friend Bill, our guest, to submit to the Mind Probe. No, not the Mind Probe. Yes, yes the, the Mind, mind probe. probe. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so, Bill, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Bill Seidler. I am a Twin Cities writer and director. I've done a few videos that you might have seen. One was called Thacko. Uh, I did a video for Jonathan Colton's uh, Re Your Brains that uh, was moderately popular. Uh, and I am a bon vivant and man about town. How do you relate to Doctor Who? Do you have a special history with it, a particular era that no, you love? It's interesting. I am pretty much the default nerd. And listening to your listening to this podcast... Uh, which I really enjoy. It's amazing to me, like how much you guys remember about your past and about every <laughs> single aspect of this. Because this is my past is all just sort of this uh, mishmash in my head, and I don't have a clear memory of when Doctor Who 
came into my life. It must have been in my early teens. Uh, like everybody else, I started watching it on PBS where they would do the movies of the, you know, four or five episodes put together. Um, Tom Baker was my first doctor. I still love him. I think he's the best. But I don't have an experience of anything other than Tom Baker and Davison because <coughs> what happened was I started watching when Tom Baker was on and that lasted a very long time. They moved on to Davison and then when they got partway through the Davison years, it was uh, the, the fundraising drive for PBS. So they went back to Tom Baker <laughs> to raise money and then they didn't pick up backward. They started back at the beginning of Davison. So I went back through Davison and then by that point I, I got into Drama Club, which is I had friends and I had things to do on Friday night. So uh, I don't really have, I've seen a few episodes of some of the other doctors, but I really only have an experience of almost all of Tom Baker, I think, some of Davison and then uh, New Who, which I stopped watching. <laughs> So, why did you stop watching New Doctor Who? Part of the reason is, is also part of the reason why I really love this podcast. Finding this podcast for me was like finding out that there's an underground revolutionary group <laughs> in your town. Because I would watch New Who and the I would nerd say, army faction. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The underground nerd army. Uh, I would watch New Who and I'd say, okay, this is, here's what I like about that, but here are these problems about it. And I would get so much blowback. It was like, no, you don't understand. My eight-year-old daughter loves this. This is very important for her to watch. And daughter's like, okay, but that's fine. But this this doesn't work. This is not good. Um, and eventually it just got, as, I, as you guys have talked about, eventually like the hammer-handed symbolism of it got, got so much that I just really couldn't take it anymore. Um, I had a brief, like, Oasis period when, uh, during the Amy Pond series, I absolutely loved that story arc, and then she left, and I completely lost interest again, and I stopped watching for a while. When Capaldi came on, I decided, I watched the first episode of Capaldi, I thought, okay, this is, this is fine, this is rough, and I decided to check in a little later, and the very first scene I saw was Clara throwing the keys to the TARDIS into a lava pit because she couldn't have her boyfriend back. At which point I, like, just the Gilmore girl, like, like bugging out in do the right thing. I threw my hands up in the air and turned away from the television set, never to return. But that is kind of interesting from a nerd point of view because if you don't like something, you stop watching it or consuming it. Whereas most nerds it's, seem to consume it more voraciously. The more I, they dislike yeah, it, it is watch. It is yes. definitely something I have come to later in life where. I have a lot of other things I could, because, I, and I think I've, I've spoken to, to Josh about this, there, there was this idea that when, when I was young, there was this idea that you could consume all of nerdom, and obviously we had no idea of, like, all the movies and all the books and all the stuff that existed, like, everything, was, you could read all the comic books, you could read all of the Dragonlance books that were coming out, you could, you, mm. and you had to have this knowledge mm -hmm. so that you could have a conversation should you happen to meet another nerd. And now there's just so much, like, I don't need to possess all of this knowledge. And it's not, and it's fine, and I, and I don't, I'm not an apostate, I don't tell anyone, <laughs> Doctor Who must be destroyed, it's like, <laughs> I, this is yeah. not, you are not creating this for me anymore, I accept this. It's not something that I'm going to get the enjoyment of that I, you know, got when I was a kid, which is never going to come back. It's not going to become an adult version of Doctor Who with moral ambiguity that I am enjoying, which they tried to do with Torchwood and failed miserably 75% <laughs> of the time. There may be some novels that we could recommend that are, sure. might scratch that more adult Doctor Who itch. <laughs> I'm not reading your fan fiction, Pat. <laughs> 
So, so Bill will not be reading Breasts of the Daleks. <laughs> are there one or two adventures uh, that you particularly like? I really, really love... There are particular moments that stand out for me, and there's the moment at the end of The Key to Time where they've assembled The Key to Time, and Tom Baker has this wonderful monologue where he talks about how much power he has, and he rolls his eyes back in his head, <laughs> and he goes completely crazy. And Romano looks at him and goes, are you okay? And he snaps out of it instantly and goes, well, of course I am, but what if I wasn't? <laughs> Another moment, I think it's in, um, is it Castrovalva where uh, Peter Davidson has gone to regenerate? Yes. Mm -hmm. There's this beautiful, beautiful, mind-blowing moment where they realize they're in sort of a, a tesseract, a fourth-dimensional trap, and they're trying to get help from the people who live in it, but because they can't, because they live in it, they can't perceive it. And he draws a square and says, "Okay, show me where your shop is." And the guy says, "Well, it's here, and here, <laughs> and here." Wait a minute. And he's very confused. For him. He's like, "Well, that's a really amazing. How do you convince somebody who lives in a fourth-dimensional trap that they live in a fourth-dimensional trap?" And because of the problems I had with the David Tennant Doctor, I really love the Amy Pond series because I felt that like, that was more or less a rejection of that era, specifically the episode where Amy has to make a choice as to whether she's going to go with the man who becomes her husband or the doctor. And mm -hmm. she makes the adult choice <laughs> of choosing the man that she can have a future and a child with. I thought that was absolutely beautiful. <laughs> okay, ad admittedly there are parts of Doctor Who, especially mm -hmm. in the original series, where effects, costumes, sets oh, sure. are, are, are a little lacking. Oh yeah. Do you have like like a favorite example of this is actually a terrible effect, but I kind of love it anyway. I think it's probably, I think it's a Horror of Fang Rock, where the monster is literally like just a glow around a trash bag that's climbing <laughs> up them. Uh, well, we'll end this by asking our traditional guest mm -hmm. question. Oh, yeah. If you could pick anyone, any musician that you wanted to appear on Doctor Who from 1963 to the present day, oh, boy. who would you pick? And what role would they play? Oh my god, Weird Al just popped into my head. And I think he would have <laughs> yeah. to be like a parallel universe where he's the American Doctor Who. Uh, so what era of Weird Al? Would he be in the 80s? Who? It would have to be like, well, I would almost James go with like... Baker? It would go with modern. It would go with modern Weird Al, but he would flash back to the times when he was like old mustache and glasses Weird Al. And he had like his 80s adventures with like the crappy monsters and stuff and his companions. And I'm going to get thrown out of Minnesota for saying this, but his arch enemy would be Prince, I guess. <laughs> Which would be amazing. Prince would be like the master. But Prince would be yeah. the master of the... Yeah. I could see Prince as the master, <laughs> yeah. actually. I and I don't know what Weird Al... Weird Al's TARDIS would probably be like a giant gumball machine or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next up we have Special Topics Dalek. No, not the... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, yes. Wrong I'm round. Sorry. All right, so uh, this is a little metatextual for you guys. Ooh. I'm sure some of you will love that and some of you will not. <laughs> getting, into, uh, getting into this idea of when the Doctor regenerates, some people instantly accept that it is the Doctor. Some people, like Sarah Jane, instantly recognize him as the Doctor. I want you to answer my... Riddle me this! Podcasters, um, you personally regenerate. What changes, but what stays the same? And I have an answer because I've been thinking about this for a while. Okay, why don't you start us off, Bill? Uh, in, in, in completely in my own hypocrisy, 
of uh, disparaging New Who for pandering to young audiences. Uh, I will still steal their answer, which is, first of all, I'm younger and sexier. I have better fashion sense, but I maintain my sense of humor, most of my cynicism, and I guess my wit, for lack of a better, I guess how I define myself in terms of my own ego is, is my wit and my outlook, but I would like to be younger and sexier. And maybe female, if that's the deal. What, what, what an unusual on, desire. Depending on who they cast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish I was uglier and fatter and had more of a yeah, skin. I do, let me, so let this me, is let not me, a Doctor Who podcast not, anymore. It's a middle-aged white man podcast. <laughs> I do not wish to turn into Sylvester McCoy for 800 years. <laughs> well, that's reasonable. <laughs> But yeah, so that's I guess in my I guess what I'm really asking is what makes what makes me me because they ask yeah. this question mm-hmm. many times on Doctor Who. It's like if I do this, I'm not the Doctor anymore. If you do this, you can't be the Doctor. Well, Peter Davison in the Five Doctors when he's getting his uh, previous selves sucked up in the time scoop says, uh, uh, "A man is just a sum of his memories. A Time Lord even more mm-hmm. so, and he's losing his memory. So that's something existentially." Uh, uh, horrifying to him sure. because bits of his past are are, uh, are being torn away. So if we take that as a basis, then what would remain the same, and this is borne out by the whole history of Doctor Who, is my memories would stay the same. Mm-hmm. But any attitude I might have to them is probably completely different. Because you know, uh, Tom Baker probably doesn't view his memories the same way that Peter Davison does. They can call on these memories, but it's almost purely informational, right? They don't say, like, I... Doctor never says, I was scared when I saw mm-hmm. the Daleks for the first time. Well, maybe he does, but you get mm-hmm. the point. So if I were doing it, I suppose all of my individual history would retain itself, mm-hmm. but I might have completely different perspectives on that. I'd like to think that I would be, yes, younger and sexier. Sure, or, yeah. Uh, but maybe I would be more courageous, more active, more involved, You know, more able to act on injustice and mm-hmm. social change and that sort of thing, whereas normally in our everyday lives we're kind of dampened down by social conventions. That's a really great serious answer. Who would you cast? <laughs> <laughs> My default answer for just about everything these days is David Bowie. So uh, sure. At one point he was younger than I am now, and mm-hmm. he was always sexier David than Bowie I am was now. Always, David Bowie was always 4,000 years old. He descended to Egypt and was worshipped as a god. <laughs> that's, that's apocalypse. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Easy mistake to make. Sure. Uh, but if we're talking about someone who's younger and sexier than me right now, currently... I'll say... I'll be it, okay. I'll, I'll play your next <laughs> oh, generation. Oh, Josh, you're somewhat older than I am. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with Michael Fassbender. Oh, wow. Excellent nice. choice. I love that guy. Yeah. Love yeah. I've got a boy crush on that guy. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. Great actor. And does he look good in Speedos? Let me tell you what. <laughs> there was no shame in that movie as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I really like the idea of random regeneration. You are given this thing that we're all given. We're just kind of, we're born with the, the genetic lottery of what we end up. But in the, the Time Lord idea is that we get to get spin the roulette wheel and try it again. And I think right. that's the most fascinating part of it. So to what, learn a lot about life by being different. So what, okay, you well, really well taking that, like what would change about you where you could take these memories and have a different perspective? Would you live your life differently? I would think, well, either I would find out that everyone is exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> and there really is no difference. Or, yeah, it would affect you in a way that would make you want to 
change your life. It would you to actually change your American perspective and yeah. be someone mm -hmm. from a different, not just a different See, ethnicity, but yeah. I mean a totally different circumstance, because which is I, different from a generation because you stay in the same circumstances. Right. Because I think because knowing you, you come off very you know positive and avuncular, and like you try to have this like really like you struggle, but you always try to see the positive in something. I think you would just really love to be an old bastard for maybe a hundred years and just travel around. I, 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 come on. I, I, honest to God, I think you have those perceptions reversed. I just say, Josh has been in... No offense whatsoever, but I do honestly think that's... No, I'm saying... I'm Josh saying, has been an old bastard for about the 25 years I've known him. But what I'm saying is his TARDIS would be a park bench that he would just sit on and just yell at people. Just like, not mutter them or make jokes about them, but just actually mm. yell at them. That's like, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> Kelvin, what about you? Oh boy, this is a, a, a tough one. I you're, mean, you're a tween girl. <laughs> no, no, no. But you have the same memories as you do. <laughs> oh, God, right that now. would be fascinating. <laughs> uh, and, and incredibly disturbing to everyone. <laughs> but, uh, so I want to fund this on Kickstarter. <laughs> but um, I guess the thing, you know, the idea of is regeneration like, you know, a sort of a Hindu concept of reincarnation where you're like kind of bettering mm. yourself farther down. And you do better or worse and then you have or, to do that. Or, yeah, or is it, you know, again with the doctor's case, he always regenerates under duress. Mm. So he doesn't necessarily get to put any will into like what his next yeah. form is going to be. And I, I've never, you know, it's it's kind of debatable, like, how much influence a Time Lord has on, on when they regenerate, or if it's literally just kind of a spinning a giant genetic well, dial of random. Yeah, I mean, that was a, that's a, um, and I want to get back to your answer, but that yeah. was always, like, there was that famous sequence where Romana is just trying on new looks. Because yes. she's a girl! <laughs> but there was this idea, like, I thought it would be fascinating if, in the series, the Doctor chose to regenerate. It wasn't a death. It wasn't a sacrifice that he made. It wasn't something he's just mm -hmm. like... It was a ratings decision. I'm really... Yeah, it's like, oh, God, I can't do this anymore. I want to go play Hamlet yeah. on the West End. Bye. He, like, stabs himself in the heart. <laughs> and I don't know if, like, just off the top of my... Like, he has a bad relationship, and he just can't imagine going on being this person it's anymore. Like the but, sorrows yeah. of young Verte. Exactly, yes. <laughs> or he just chooses to regenerate, or he just walks out of the room, and, like, Romana comes back in and says... Oh, I decided to steal the identity of this person that we knew before. But uh, so, Kelvin, getting back to what changes, what well, stays the same? Um, I would, I would like to be a lot more extroverted. Uh, I would, I would like to actually be able to get some energization from social interaction sure. instead, <laughs> instead of feeling sort of exhausted by it. Uh, I would like to have uh, a skin tone that doesn't turn lobster red if I'm outside for more than ten minutes. <laughs> I would like to think that my sense of humor and, and outlook on life is the same. It's just better and more persuasively articulated to I, people. I um, can see that working for you because you, you really, I mean, and like listening to this podcast, because I hadn't seen you for a while. Yeah, yeah. Listening to this podcast made me, podcast, podcast, <laughs> made me realize how much I miss talking to you because you have this wonderful thing, which I guess in Doctor Who terms is timey-wimey. Where you will say something that sounds insane, 
<laughs> and then you will walk us through the logical steps you took to get there and go, oh yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I think if you did that in, in Tenant's like really quick paced style, yeah. you're like, oh no, that makes perfect sense. So I guess what I'm saying is you're the closest to David Tennant. Yeah. Wow. We just need to speed you up to 1.4%. That's actually, yeah. I, and you're Josh listening. may disagree with me, but that's actually very flattering. Yeah. I love the way you th- I love the way you think and if you were talking like David Tennant, well you see if we take the inner oscillator here and move it over there and of course what that'll do that's why I'm wearing these 3D glasses which is oh yeah that makes perfect sense I can see what really I can really see where Kelvin's going with this and then you fart <laughs> no I would just like keep materializing the TARDIS into some guy's house and then like if I had to you stick your butt out and fart and then leave. <laughs> just like the queen's tea. Yeah. And just keep picking the same. <laughs> yeah. And the same like, poor bastard like every day. Yeah. Wherever like, like, he like, is. Like, like, like it's two weeks later. Oh, I have to do it again. And then just like materialize the TARDIS like a minute after. How amazing would it be if you had, like, an Irish Republican doctor who was just constantly trolling the royalty? <laughs> and, like, not doing them, like, IRA harm, like, blowing stuff up, but just, like, annoying them. Like stealing socks out of their cabinet. <laughs> that was a very Kelvinish addition. <laughs> Show up at a royal a event and just start singing a nation once again. <laughs> so, do we think that if we were all doing the same podcast at the age of twenty-five, we would have all said we wanted to be younger and sexier? Or I guess we wouldn't want to have been younger, oh, but God. everyone seemed really happy with who they are to a certain extent. The, oh, the yeah. most thing would be some physical change. Do you think that's purely age, or do you no, think? I don't think so. I've had my same insecurities since I was about two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're like, I, yeah. I want to be younger and sexier <laughs> and potty trained. When I when I was one, I was really something. <laughs> I guess it's the classic thing of if only I knew then what I knew now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, we've just. That we're a bunch of middle-aged guys with yeah. insecurities and regrets, and uh, thank you, listeners. Let's also buy Corvettes. That'll be the same thing. That's my my regeneration mobile. <laughs> So for round four of our podcast, here's something we like to call, for whatever reason, wonderful afunctionalism. And I gathered that our guest, Bill Steitler, has something for us today. Bill? I do. Um, I know Neil Gaiman. <gasps> it's not something I like to bring up a lot. It's kind of like saying, you know, Superman. Yeah, yeah you're uh, like Neil Gaiman's Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, exactly. Oh, He's got a little you know, watch on, so yeah. if anything goes bad, <laughs> you can contact. <laughs> I was hanging out with Superman this weekend. Shut up, Jimmy. Nobody cares. <laughs> and I was actually uh, telling him about this podcast because you did that wonderful bit where you tried to decide uh, which uh, alcoholic beverage each doctor oh, would wow. drink, yeah. which I really, really loved. Uh, and so the last time I saw Neil, we were talking, and because uh, I work uh, with cheese, we came up a list of... Uh, which which cheese is each doctor? So, gentlemen, let's do. Do you want me to tell you? Go through the list yeah. uh, one by one. Number one, Stilton. Mm. Uh, it is extremely English. Mm-hmm. It is aged. Uh, it is difficult to deal with. <laughs> uh, it is very hard at times, and it is crumbly. But exactly. it is it is an extremely English aged. And it is also known for its crusty exterior. Yes. Oh, well, no other, no other blue cheese has that crusty exterior, so I think yes. it's a perfect first. It is a. It, it can be a difficult cheese. <laughs> uh, 
uh, but it is entirely enjoyable. Uh, second, uh, Wensleydale. Uh, Josh, what did you think of that choice? I think it's a good choice. It's sort of a crumbly cheese. It's definitely milder than right. Stilton. It has a little hint of honey to it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, light, but I think really what most people associate with now is Wallace, Wallace and, and Gromit. Gromit. Atmosphere yeah, and I think the second day, yeah. doctor would terribly enjoy Wallace and Gromit. Yeah. So I think oh, that's you, oh, you very adore, appropriate. You would adore Wallace. Yeah. Uh, number three, a classic English cheddar. Now, for those mm -hmm. of you who have only had American cheddars, they tend to be more on the creamy side, more on the creamy and mild side and not sharp. You don't think, John, we would be just a big cheese ball? <laughs> <laughs> I'm parsing your metaphor here. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to go back uh, to what we were talking about. It's like, it's a very acceptable cheese, but it's also aged frequently. It sometimes has a cloth yes, border around that. Yes, it's cloth bound. It's, it's oh. wrapped in muslin. It's something you have, it's something you have all the time. It's not, it's not something that you splurge on. It's something that is around, much like, you know, he was always on Earth. He was always around. And I think uh, the contrast between wh what we expect from an American cheddar and an English cloth-bound cheddar yes. is everyday but a little fancy. <laughs> <laughs> it is the foppish cheddar. <laughs> okay, any guesses for four? Are there big hairy Swiss? I will, I will spoil this for you and tell you mostly he, went with, mostly he and I went with English cheeses. Yeah, I, I okay. suppose so. Makes sense. Right. Makes sense. Courier, that's an interesting this is a, choice this for This is a Baker. list that you and Neil put together. Yeah, we were talking. Like we were discussing yes. cheese. Yes, but uh, just yeah, like, like, like a slightly odd flavored thing full of holes. And, you know. Yes, <laughs> tiny wimey. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no. Yeah, Gruyere. No, I I can see Gruyere. That's, okay, that's a good one. Okay. Very, you know. Because I can hear Tom Baker saying, fun to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> he opens, he's got a special panel in the TARDIS yes, control yes. panel, and the fondue pot just pops right up. Uh, camembert, which I believe he said, uh, as I recall, Neil said, was sort of the, the first weird cheese that an Englishman encounters. Slightly offbeat, slightly unusual, very enjoyable, sometimes pungent. Because you think it's going to be brie. You think it's going to be brie. And you cut into it and it's very mushroomy and it's got this a very, little bit of a funk to it's it. It's got this very unusual taste yes. to it. Yes. Five, double Gloucester. That conveys nothing to me, I'm afraid. Well, it is, it's very smooth yeah. and buttery in texture. Mm -hmm. It Just has, like Peter Davison. Well, yeah, and it is has a slight little bit of nuttiness to it. It can get a little complex if it ages, but mostly it results in a very mellow flavor. Can be, can be very earthy. <laughs> it can be very earthy. Which I would definitely yep. describe Peter yeah. Davison as. Yeah. Uh, um, based on my limited cheese knowledge, the first thing I thought of for the, the, the doctor was brie. That's a, yeah, I can see that. You yeah. know, they're both spreadable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a really good, solid, basic, soft white cheese. I don't know. Now, okay. The, the double Gloucester, though, if you allow it to age, it becomes more complex and a little harder. And like we it, saw that like in Cape of Avengers Army. Or in Camping, yes. If he'd stayed a little longer, I'm sure, it would go well with celery. Cheese. <laughs> it would actually. It actually I could see yourself spreading like a little double Gloucester in a celery stalk and, and eating some. You know, if, if your goal of this segment was to make everyone really hungry for cheese, it's <laughs> working really well. We thought about having a cheese tray, but we couldn't put it together in <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, no, I imagine. Um, the next one I have no experience with, uh, this was entirely uh, his, is uh, six is Stinky Bishop. 
Did you look up? This is really interesting because okay. I knew stinky bishop is a wash drying cheese, okay. and it is. That means like that as the cheese matures, it, they wash it with some sort of alcohol to give the bacteria something else to eat as the and cheese it, is maturing. Oh, Side okay. effect is it tends to get okay. stinkier. Now okay. this is specifically washed with Perry. <laughs> See what I mean? You're going to be amazed at how many connections to yeah, Colin exactly. Baker I can pull out of this. So washed in Perry, which is actually um, a fermented pear juice, so alcoholic pear juice, right? Um, and so it begins to stink. It has a, a, a brown to brown to orange rind with mottled different colors okay. on that on that rind uh, with different molds. Oh, this, this is amazing. This, this is amazing. And in the uh, the stinking bishop named, why the pear was named that, this is could be apocryphal, but the story okay. goes, as I looked into it, is that a, a Mr. Bishop was the guy who bred this pear who supposedly had just a terrible, terrible temperament. He was... <laughs> <laughs> and this is deep. There is a story that... True, true or not, that um, he he was uh, boiling water in his kettle and didn't boil fast enough, and he shot it. <laughs> so, <laughs> he strangled his tea kettle. Yeah, yes, essentially. So this might be the most amazingly appropriate That's cheese kind of for incredible. the Sixth Doctor. And I'm sure it goes wow. great with Grumblejack, too. <laughs> Seven is a novelty Wensleydale with nuts and cranberries, the kind you would get during the holidays and at no other time of the year. And see, I like that because it is needlessly complex, like right, many yeah. of the Seventh Doctor's plots. Plus, it is just essentially might... just a dressed-up Wensleydale, which yes. means the Seventh Doctor is really just the Second Doctor, <laughs> just with a lot of bottles. And, and, <laughs> and it might also come with a novelty sweater. <laughs> exactly. A cheese that's marketed a little sweater. Yes. I would not put them it's past that. It's a sweater-bound Wensleydale. It's, it's a, it's a I mean, like a, another Christmas gift that you wouldn't want to get. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's a cheese cozy, essentially. I honestly, honest to God, if someone came up with like like a Christmas sweater type cheese cozy, I do think we need to have our many talented fans like make Photoshop mock-ups of the doctors as these cheeses. Okay. So, <laughs> Brian Schomburg, if you could get on that, please. <laughs> All right, number eight, Limburger. See, this one I, I had a hard time okay. making making the Limburger leap okay. um, until I thought of it from a retail perspective. We know Limburger is the stinky cheese. The I know it. Cheese. I know it only as a cheese that will knock out a cartoon cat. Exactly. It gets. It's the stink lines. <laughs> yes, come up exactly. From it, right. It's actually washed in the same bacterium that we have on our skins. That actually partially to causes body odor and oh, wow. foot odor. So when people say it smells like feet it, 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 it really yeah. actually does and so i think that's kind of unfair to the eighth doctor but then when i thought about it like at this cheese department mm -hmm. where we work everyone is always like oh can you get us some limburger mm -hmm. oh we really want some limburger we bring it in and they're like oh that kind of stinks no we don't want limburger so it is really just like when doctor who went off the air everyone's like we want doctor who give us some doctor who please please then we give them the tv movie like yeah that kind of stinks and then we don't want it's it anymore. something that it's something that a lot of old men were asking for <laughs> please bring it Back, it's like the please. one exotic cheese a lot of people can name. Yeah. And okay, you, you said these are all English cheeses. Well, n generally speaking, Limburger yeah, is yeah, no. Because I is is Limburger like Central European German German, German I believe. Yeah. I always got a very Central European Germanish vibe mm -hmm. from the Eighth Doctor. You know, I guess maybe from being <laughs> uh, hanging out with Mary Shelley. <laughs> bohemian look. It looks like uh, like a, a Viennese composer sort of. Yeah. And I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah I think that works. I also think yeah. there's something, if you're going just on the TV movie version of the Eighth Doctor, of a cheese that like looks really fancy mm-hmm. and pretty, but really there's not much to it when you actually taste it. Like the Cahill Porter, <laughs> right. which has the veins of porter. Yeah, it looks like a fascinating cheese. Like, nah. right. Or like Sage Derby, which this looks vibrant green mm-hmm. veins. You're like, oh, this looks amazing. This, uh, it just tastes like sage. You know, it's fairly common for me to get out-nerded, you guys. <laughs> This is the first time I've been out-nerded with cheese. <laughs> Get so used to it. We're pre- taking wait, over the so podcast. In previous I, uh, encounters, you have been the cheese dominant. I don't mean to imply that. <laughs> I just mean that my life heretofore has not sure. brought me into a cheese conversation of this depth and complexity. Sure. It's really, this is a backdoor podcast pilot that we're <laughs> trying to sneak in here. Science Which Blake 7 cheese are you? Take our BuzzFeed, please, now. You are Serbaland Stilton. <laughs> okay, we're moving into uh, New Who, uh, number nine. Uh, and this is this one is probably almost entirely on me because uh, we started selling this at this point. Uh, number nine, uh, Lancashire Poacher, which is, it's a northern cheese, very smooth. It is, but it's, there's it's m- hard, it's raw. Hard, <laughs> but otherwise nothing objectionable about the taste. Uh, number ten, uh, Three Sisters Triple Nettle. Did you? This is a choice I am not Those are familiar just with. random words that no. you spun up. <laughs> Unlike the others, the, the new who, which I think appropriately mm-hmm. enough, gets very specific. Yeah. And that's a very specific mm-hmm. cheese. It's a combination of goat, cow, and sheep's milk. That makes perfect cheese. sense. And it's got nettle. It's in a small upland, upstate farm in New York. And right. it's organic and uses vegetable rennet. So it's all froofy. Like and if you put back. it in the rain, it yep. gets very <laughs> runny and appears to be crying. Uh, Eleven, Cheshire. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a lot like, which I think is interesting, uh, because he pulled so much from uh, the Second Doctor. It is mm-hmm. in the Wensleydale family. It is that sort of um, mild but well loved, kind of crumbly, salty, kind of okay. everyday cheese mm-hmm. in the Wensleydale family. And I would definitely put Matt Smith's performance in the Second Doctor. Category. Yeah. Yeah. Is, it, is it a young from. cheese? Is it a young? Uh, it, it can a... be young. Yes, okay. younger but still crumblier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Twelve. I have another cheese with which I am not personally familiar. Double goats. All I have to assume is double goats is a, is a double cream, a right. goat's milk double cream. A double yes. cream is really like the UK version of heavy like whipping cream. Yeah. I'm not familiar with it in a, in an actual cheese form. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I mean, but it's um, it's gonna have a heavier fat content. It's going, but gonna have that goaty tang, and I will agree. In so much as if there's a goat cheese doctor, it is doctor number yeah, 12. Yeah, because I've had double cream breeze before, but I don't know that I've had a double goat cream I, cheese I would, of any kind. I have to imagine it's going to be super tangy and like super sour, like sour and tangy, but in a really pleasant medley there, which I guess I can see. Uh, and he did, and again, and for the war doctor, he did, and again, this is another cheese I have no experience with. Uh, he uh, chose a cheese called Carefully, C-A-E-R-P-H-I-L-L-Y. Oh, wow. uh, because oh, it's a twee. it's a cheese that is it's not a cheese but it claims to be it is a cheese that claims not to be a cheese or vice versa. But to end this though, I I found some information about this specific cheese that said it used to be before mm-hmm. World War II a very moist, softer uh-huh. cheese, and then to speed up production, it started being during the war was factory made. Uh, and was, yes. it was the aging was sped up and it was uh, became out as a hard cheese. Ah. Just like John Just like John Hurt as a war doctor. So nailed it. Perfect. <laughs> I, I would say the war doctor is Kraft American singles. <laughs>
Never American. No, I would not do that. No, so I, would, I would not compare any of the doctors. The eighth doctor is half craft American singles on his yeah. mother's side. Yeah. So please go to Kickstarter and fund our new web series where the doctor we reenact Doctor Who episodes with cheeses. Doctor, what are we going to do now? Oh no, I've broken my heel again. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and now round five, the randomizer. But we have fixed the randomizer, so we know where it's going to land because we've been looking at the brigadier and his appearances throughout all of Doctor Who in every era. So we have reached Peter Davison's era on the show, and so we are, of course, talking about the five dot... No, we're talking about Modern Undead. Yay! Yay, Modern The Modern Undead. And this is from the 20th anniversary season. It is uh, from 1983, and it is written by Peter... Is it Grim Wade? Or Grim Wade Wad? or Grim Wad? I don't know. The Modern way. Undead by Peter Grim, Grim Wad. <laughs> But he's Peter Grimwade. It was interesting because he's also a director, and he directed some of the big episodes, like Legopolis, Kinda, Earthshock. Um, He also wrote Time Flight, so he has some stuff to make up for. (laughs) (laughs) But he'd been around for a while. He'd been working on the show for quite a a long time. Uh, And directed by Peter Moffat, Mm -hmm. which is also, coincidentally, Peter Davison's real name. But his stage name is Peter Davison because he didn't want to be confused with the director, Peter Moffat, whose real name is Peter Davison, but he changed it to Moffat. So what you're saying is Peter Davison and Stephen Moffat got into a teleporter together, and there was a horrible accident. And they became Georgina Moffat. <laughs> oh, my God. And married David Tennant, oh, and then Lord. gave birth to the director, Peter Moffat. Now, which cheese would they be? Oh, my goodness. And that David Tennant was actually, his real name was actually David McDonald. <laughs> Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. But that's well, not important right now. Important right now. This story has to do a lot of work, though, because it brings oh back the, it brings back the brigadier. It mm-hmm. has to introduce Turlo, a new companion, and the beginning of a three-part story arc with the Black Guardian. Yep, it's a little ramshackle, and we'll talk yep. about this. Yep, I mean it's mainly hampered by it's clear that they they have been allowed three areas to film in. You know, <laughs> the, you know the ship, the school, and that hill, and they have yep. to just keep <laughs> going back and back to it. The, the original encounter I had with Modern Undead was as the novel version of it. I was up at camp for a week with the novelization of Modern Undead and Terminus. You were at nerd camp? I was at Camp Foley. It was a miserable experience because I hated humans. You were learning how to make uh, special effects sounds. <laughs> we picked ticks off ourselves and threw them onto the wood-burning stove and they exploded. Aww. That was horrible. Awesome. Uh, but I also had these two books to read, so that was fun, too. Uh, so I remember these uh, in a fond way. I enjoyed them, whereas mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy the rest of the experience. So when I eventually got around to seeing the show, it met my expectations, I think. Terminus did not, but we were not talking about that no, right now. What I love about Modern and Dead is that it does play with time more than uh, it, the yeah. classic series. It's almost unheard does. of in the classic yeah, series. Yeah. And by doing that, uh, it provides a lot of um, aha 
plot moments that Doctor Who usually doesn't. As a viewer, I think most of the time, Doctor Who's just riffing on pulp storylines, and, and, and the joy for me of watching it is the character of the Doctor and some of the wit. But you kind of see what's coming. But this has a lot of those little, little twists, whereas mm-hmm. you slowly realize, oh, wait, they're in two different time zones, and the Brigadier's going to recognize Tegan, and there's mm-hmm. just a lot of those for Doctor Who. That, that in, Even after seeing it a couple times, I tend to forget how it's constructed. And I think its construction is really nice. Well, everything about it is a little bit different than normal Doctor Who. The design of it looks a little bit different. The The fact that it does a timey-wimey thing is strange. Even the title, Modern Undead, mm-hmm. is not like anything we've seen on Doctor Who before. It's more like Which a actually new, means, new Who title. I believe Undead Undead. Is that what Modern means I think in, mo- in Welsh? I, if I remember or? right, Modern is Welsh for like undead or dead or something. <laughs> the title's either Undead, Undead, or Dead, Undead. I don't well, know. they really shouldn't have named that guy that. Yeah. His, his, his <laughs> mom was really... It's a, it's a very Marvel Comics thing where my name yeah. is Professor B, and suddenly I can control bees. What are the chances? Edward Nigma. Yes, too, exactly. Uh, but there's even not even there's not even a villain per se. There's no, the, yeah, there's the say. Black Guardian, uh, but the, no one even knows about him yeah, except yeah, Turlo. Yeah. So everything's yeah. just a little bit off. Is well, it very strange? Yeah, yeah. Modron is not a villain at all. His big plot is kill me. Yeah, and it's not <laughs> a twist. It's not yeah. like we want you because we're gonna get something. Getting back to what Pat said, it's odd. I do not have any memory of of seeing this episode, which is odd because Turlo is one of my favorite companions. He's probably my favorite male companion because it's such a weird choice. To have a jerk, like yeah, it's and weird. he is, yeah. he is unabashedly a jerk. He lies to get himself out of trouble. He's a bully. He's a bully. He's a bad boy. Nobody really likes him, but it's kind of like he's a wrestling heel. It's not like people don't like Adric because he's trying to be likable and is annoying. Adric is, or Turlo is, he's a bad person. But you like, like he's got this smug attitude. They do a good job of of neutralizing that to a degree right away because yeah. we were privy to his innermost thoughts especially yeah. in that creepy scene with the headmaster yeah. where he's like I don't want to kill this guy I'm in this real bad that's, spot I, I know that I've been kind of a jerk about things but I, do, I don't want to murder this guy of, that's sort of his only thing is that he doesn't want to murder but he also yeah. pins the car crash on the other person I wasn't driving I was just trying to protect him when <laughs> I said and let me first of all say before I go into like my feelings about this the guy who plays Turlo's friend is amazing <laughs> at playing the English Pratt. He is seconds away from being pulled into Narnia for Turkish delights. He is the most <laughs> noodly prattish English character. Turlo, I don't think we should be doing this. He is an amazing character. And he really throws himself into a pantomime character, essentially. The the whole, that school section, and Hippo in particular, Mm -hmm. it reminds me that there are areas of common fictional knowledge that the British have that I don't have. There's a whole universe of British boarding school fiction, Billy Bunter comics Mm -hmm. and things like that, which I've never read. There's also the equally long tradition of British boarding school pornography, some of which I have read, hey. but I won't, I won't comment on that right now. Yes, we've read but, your fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it reminds me that this was not necessarily uh, designed for an audience of Americans. Mm-hmm. My feelings on this, having having no memory of watching it, is like, because I love Turlo so much as a concept, is like they had 
And I think you, you mentioned that the guy who wrote this had been a director but did not direct this episode. Mm -hmm. So many missed opportunities. Like, there are so many things that they could have done. From a directing point of view? The, I, really a... think, I really think the directing on this really, like, really made this a terrible, like, terrible episode. And it sort of almost made me, like, wish that they would redo this script with Modern Who, not for the effects, but for for the knowledge of cinematography and how you can tell a story visually, because that's the thing that really sort of hit me watching this, is how flat-looking. It's almost like this mm -hmm. whole episode was filmed on a proscenium stage. And they make, like, there's that, that point where Turlo is in the afterlife or wherever he is. He's with the Black Guardian, and we'll get to the costumes. Please believe me in this. And it's just like they're in a green screen, four-bit yeah, visual like, effect. Looks mm -hmm. like Kurt Loder should walk on screen. Exactly. It looks MTV like they're. It looks like they're in moment. discs of Tron, <laughs> but it's like it, at that time it would have been so much more effective if they had shot this in a physical black room with just like a single light on Turlo, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sure. just like you hear this voice telling him all this, which is something that they could. But because it's like oh, this is science fiction, we need to do computer effect. And just like, they're so, like, I love the moment where there's this wonderful comic moment where Turlo has gone into the TARDIS and is apparently knows how to pilot the TARDIS, which in Tom Baker's era, only the doctor could pilot the TARDIS, <laughs> right? Like, it was, yeah, like, it was, it was physically impossible for anyone other than a Time Lord to, to pilot. Like, when he goes to see Set on Mars, it's like, you cannot pilot the TARDIS. The doctor has to do it, yeah. right? So he runs into this guy who's who's like fuddling with the TARDIS controls and apparently knows everything about it. And there's just a wonderful comic moment where the doctor doesn't even notice him. <laughs> and then they skip over this immediate look. This is Turlo. He's going to be with us now. He's going to be traveling around. <laughs> but there's so many missed opportunities. And I have to assume, like, I don't know who the director was, but it just felt like, eh, we're going to just turn this out. This is for kids that they're never going to see well, it, again. Well, it certainly had to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. And that was surely because of John Nathan Turner mandate. Okay, it has to have an old villain. We have to introduce a new character. We're going to bring back an old companion. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be Ian Chesterton, mm -hmm. which makes more sense considering he's a math teacher at this uh, mm -hmm. this public school. Uh, but they couldn't get William Russell. I heard that Harry Sullivan was considered as well. I read somewhere was else. He, uh, was he still alive? I uh, thought he died he, shortly thereafter, okay. like mid-80s. I think uh, you might be right. I think it was supposed to be Ian and then Harry and then... The brigadier is who they wound up with, which, I mean, sure, we, we all like Nicholas Courtney, but he doesn't have to be the brigadier here, mm -hmm. and he really does very little. Really, he's just so used... so much padding in this episode. He's used for his body. Yeah. Of all the weird things, right? He literally <laughs> needs to Oh, like to you have haven't want to use bodies. the brigadier for his body. Come on. <laughs> well, go to my website, Bill. It's w and that was the weird... I mean, like, I, I get to... Like, this episode had to do a lot, but there was so much padding in it. It's yeah. like... I wrote, one of my notes that I wrote down is like, the most that anyone is in danger in this episode is when the Brigadier has to run up and down that hill multiple Yumped times. that wretched hill. He is going to have a heart attack. Stop making him go. <laughs> That's one of the things I loved about this episode myself, is how little, like, cosmic danger there really was. Sure. They were trapped in the, due to this warp ellipse or whatever science fiction nonsense. Um, and it was, again, more about petty revenge on the part of the Black Guardian oh, that they're oblivious to. So, right, no. even, even that isn't really 
really a threat to them because they don't even know what's going on. And then they stumble upon Maudrin, Maudrin. and even that's just a bunch of guys. It's just a sad story who are trying desperately to find mm. a way to die. Yeah. And to me, the lack of immediate cosmic threat is one of my favorite things about it. There's so little peril that they can't even muster a third episode cliffhanger. Yeah, it's the Doctor <laughs> just says, "If I go through with this, then I'll it won't be a Time Lord anymore." Yeah, yeah. and that would have been. And that's one of the things I'm talking about is missed opportunities. Is like when you get into like the Senate and everything. It's like, well, if I do this, I can't. If I kill, I can't be the Doctor and stuff. This is a very selfish choice on the Doctor's part. It's like these guys made their own bed. I'm not going to give up all of my regenerations to release them. Let's well, leave. I mean, that's a fantastic. I mean, I would you, Bill, like, oh, we'll give up the next 50 years of your life to save but, these douchebags. Yeah, but they dwell on that so I'm, little, and, like, nobody calls him to task on that. I'm going to disagree with you again on this, because sure. I, I like how small that moment is. Mm. I actually like that yeah. little small cliffhanger on, on third where he just looks to the camera, and it's very soft. Yeah, I'm not criticizing um, it. It's just not physical peril. Yeah, no, it is not. I was thinking of the new series. There's that great moment when they all rush back to the TARDIS and uh, I think Nis is asking him about it. It's like, well, what's going to happen to them? They're never going to die and the doctor's like, they're just going to go on mutating and she's like, oh, that's horrible and Peter Davison does this great small, there's just a slight pause and he just very quietly says, sometimes you have to live with the consequences of your actions and it's done this really small shakes it off and goes on. Whereas a new series it would be a huge thundering speech about responsibility and do I have the right and this and that and it was just this quiet, tiny moment. And then they flew off into Jim Henson's TARDIS babies. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. I have a question. So, as they discover, like, if they try to go forward, uh, Nissa and Tegan both, they mutate as the modern have mm-hmm. mutated, but I think they're supposed to be aging because when they try to go backwards in time, they end up becoming eight-year-old oh, kids. And what's amazing about that is, as they get younger, their clothes shrink, too, which makes me think that their tailors have been regressing in time. Can I say how much better Nissa's outfit looks than it did in Snake Dance, by the way? She had this terrible thing oh, with stripes I, in Snake Dance. I have a huge... This is only the second episode where yeah. she gets to dress like a relatively normal okay, human being. Okay, we're moving into costumes Let's now. talk about costumes. Let's talk about costumes. Let's talk about the fact that the Black Guardian, the, the anthropomorphic incarnation of all evil in the universe... Has a baby slee stack on his head? Looks like... <laughs> <laughs> a small town drag queen playing a, a skexy at Dark Crystal Night. <laughs> it looks terrible. There is, and it gets get back into the cinematography. There is no attempt to make him look either imposing or deceptive. Because at the very beginning, like you hear a little thing, he says, "You'll if you do this, you'll be destroying the greatest monster the universe has ever known." Twenty minutes later, he goes, "In the name of all that is evil, I command you." Yeah. It's terrible. He's got, like you said, he's got like a little fascinator on his head with a vulture head. Yeah, and I think it's partly the setting. I think you almost could have gotten away with that costume if you flashed to a different setting where that looked like, like mm. somehow everything yeah. matched yeah. the way he was dressed. Like you said, teleported to another mm-hmm. realm. But you know, seeing him in the English countryside dressed like that, it looked pretty absurd. I- and, do love the fact the ultimate force of evil's plan and Turlo's plan to kill the doctor is to bash him in the head with a rock. And it almost works. Yep. It's just luck. Thing. It's just, if that thing had not sparked at that particular moment... But he... it could have been the White Guardian. What a chance. He's sitting somewhere in his wicker chair with his fancy drink and just snapped his fingers and it exploded to save hey guys, Peter we're, we're coming to the end of our time together, so mm. we want to wrap up our thoughts about Modrin Undead. Mm. Before we cut, uh, make sure to mention David Collings, who plays Modrin, mm. who's a Doctor Who vet. 
He was Voris in Revenge of the Cybermen and Pool from the Robots of Death. Yeah. And not to mention he was Silver in the show Sapphire and Steel. Yeah. Which we're going to talk to one of these days. And I want to especially point out that he played the famous leader composer Hugo Wolf in Ken Russell's very strange film biography of Gustav Mahler called Mahler. It was one of the best scenes in that really strange and interesting movie. Uh, so, uh, now that I've said my strange piece, I, final thoughts on Modern Undead? Because I'm the most interested in taking just a tiny bit of time here to consider the Brigadier, mm. in that it is an interesting representation of him, and it sort of sets the tone for how he's going to be portrayed by writers and fan mm. writers after this. He's no longer at kind of an adversary of the Doctors, and mm. it sort of retroactively puts a, a lot more warm friendship than was necessarily always shown. Not that they mm. were at each other's throat constantly during the Pertwee era, but right. it was a rockier relationship. And from this point forward, they're going to be the best of old nostalgic friends. And we are a little muddled, too, in that clearly he's a meaner version of the Brigadier suffering from this post-traumatic stress thing. I don't think we're supposed to think the Brigadier would body shame this kid while yeah, he's the hill. It's kind of unpleasant when he's yelling at schoolboys and not yeah. soldiers. I found this endlessly hilarious that when they finally get to the resolution of the episode, they take the passed out Brigadier out of the TARDIS and throw him on the lawn to be discovered by a friend, which is something you would do to a drunk friend where you throw them in front of their parents' house and then quickly run away so you will not get in trouble. They didn't even turn him on his stomach <laughs> so yeah. if he yeah. threw like, him away. Fortunately, the school doctor was yeah. there. Yeah. Brigadier, what are you doing? Yeah. It took me forever to realize, because you hadn't seen that guy before, is this, this big fat guy in a brown turtleneck. And What's like, Sir Arthur Conan that, Doyle doing yeah. here? Or is that Doris? Is it? <laughs> seeing it? Is this where he meets Doris? They literally <laughs> throw him on the ground and run back to the TARDIS. We were not here. This did not happen. That was a little awkward. <laughs> oh, uh, also, uh, Turlo is the first Slytherin companion. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. definitely true. Yeah. Final thoughts about Madron Undead? This is always one of my, my favorite Fifth Doctor stories. I was always fascinated that the ship looks like a 1920s ocean liner for no real <laughs> reason. I love it. The red walls and the Yeah, it's, it's such a... It was such a distinctly different marble Yeah, it was very, like, Art Deco Asian... Yeah. Film. I was kind of frustrated about this time through, but I always kind of liked how you didn't really know who the hell Modern was and why he wanted the Time Lord's device. And sure. I kind of have this headcanon thing uh, that I think this episode ties in a lot with the concept of time lordiness is something that is given to you, mm. and it isn't just inherent to anyone who's Galfran. It can be stolen, potentially. Yeah, because I kind of had the theory that, like, Modron and his companions were regular Galfrans who wanted to be time lords. And tried, and had this plan oh, to do it. And, you know, and the doctor says, like, well, if I give up my regular... Regenerations. I am not a Time Lord anymore. Mm -hmm. So like, he would just be an ordinary gal. Privileged Doctor. And he could live with Rose and have chill. Oh wait, no, sorry, that's the other thing. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was interesting watching it this time around and, and seeing the tiny hints that Turlo is is, is extraterrestrial. He does say, oh, yeah. I hate the planet Earth. Because I, I remember the first time I saw it, it, it totally missed me that he's yeah. an alien. Like the other times I saw it, like, oh, it's super obvious he's alien. And this time it seemed like a like an interesting middle ground of, yeah. of just slightly hinting that he's alien. I, I regret that we never see the very strange solicitor that in London that ha yeah. handles his affairs. Yes. And our headcanon can be David Bowie. We can finally put, uh, him, put him into the It's this Doctor very Who's. strange penguin who really runs a detective agency. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Wingard. Yeah. One, <laughs> yes, Frobisher. <laughs> one, one, one odd, one thing that I liked about it was 
Uh, I mean, we kind of bitched about the costumes and stuff. I, mm. I, I think the sets are really good, yeah. especially uh, the, the hilltop uh, monument thing. Yeah. There's that urn there. That, that, I think that was probably location based. That that was probably well, but, the monument was. But well, okay. There, there's that urn thing. I'm thought like, oh, okay, they found this this location with like an urn thing. But then the doctor opens the side of it to find that that beacon thing, hmm. and I'm like, that was actually a set piece that they made that actually mm. looks like a stone urn. It's always impressive. Yeah, Wait, Turlo's rock seemed heavier than most paper mache rocks that <laughs> yeah, they use on Doctor Who too. And, and they got a real <laughs> rock professional. Like they had a set that actually okay. freaked me out. Hear, Maybe I thought it was a real item. In, hear in, me out on this. What if they forgot to bring the weapon that day and they were like, uh, improvise something? Mark, <laughs> Mark, grab that rock. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> pen knife, and he's just. <laughs> Poking <laughs> him repeatedly in the back of a pen knife. I really like this. I, I will uh, say that I think the weakest mm. part, I agree with you, is the Black Guardian and having to yeah. have that. And, and, well, you need it for Turlo's story, but it, could it was have been, poorly executed. I think they could have made it more mysterious mm -hmm. instead it's completely spelled yeah. out. And yeah. One directorial touch I really like is the very end um, when the Doctor welcomes Turlo aboard. They shake hands, cut to spaceship exploding the end. And so, I love that. Yeah, no one seems very pleased by Turlo joining the crew. Yeah. Um, and I gotta say that this has the... As much as I like Madryn, it has the cheapest plot resolution since Joe threw herself in front of Azal and confused him enough that he died <laughs> yes. back in the Daemons. It is really bad. Just like, oh, if the Brigadier had been a split second one way or the other... Uh, oh yeah, that was pretty late. I don't think it's comparable to the Joe Grant thing in that mm. um, it at least had was built up throughout the entire episode. And sure. one of the interesting things I noted is that everybody was freaked out by the fact there were two That's brigadiers. Modern was, Modern oh, was the black, even the Black Guardian is like, forget yeah. about killing the doctor, get the brigadier out of here. Here's, Everybody's here's, concerned. Here's, here's so they spent a, a lot of time. That's true. That is pretty up. great. Here's yeah. a here's a question for a future episode. If you saw yourself from six years ago, would you immediately walk towards yourself with your hand outstretched to touch ring fingers? <laughs> Yeah, which yes. seems to be. But, but okay, that the, the energy released from the Blenovich limitation mm -hmm. effect is the energy necessary to to kill Modron and yep. his companions, yes. which brings up the the subject of just how much energy does our regeneration require? <laughs> seven, well, seven, so seven we, regenerations equals so, one universe. Yeah, okay, of well, we it's do one know, eighth wait, wait, wait. of what it takes to destroy everything. The energy, yes. the energy of a dying star is what it creates to create a half-human doctor for Rose to have as a sex toy in an alternate universe. Okay. So let's extrapolate from there. <laughs> Listeners, write in with your opinions on Show how much energy... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, any, any physics grad students out there that want to work out an equation... <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. I think that's our show, our latest episode of Get Off My World. We want to thank very much our guest, Bill Steitler. You are entirely thank welcome. Thank you for coming. And uh, once again, of course, I'm Pat. I'm Joshua. I'm Knuckles McGee. <laughs> and we're saying... <laughs> Get Off My World. I've never seen an episode. episode of it, but I've, I've met a, a, a strange and varied array of people who really <laughs> love Gilmore Girls. My sisters I, love it. And yeah. I can't, I don't it's get not, why exactly, but... It's supposed to be very good. I've oh, just, yeah. I've not gotten around I don't yet. know if you want to have this discussion on your Doctor Who podcast, no. but I can explain it to you. <laughs> um, 
Oh, well, Sharon, everybody's we everybody's, everybody's we happy you're here. No, Sharon, my you wife. My, it's because uh, Peter Davison was in like a lot of episodes. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, Gilmore Girls. My my wife explained this to me. She was absolutely devoted to the show. It is about a a dream relationship between a mother and daughter. It is what you dream that your relationship is going to be. Um, they live in a very small village. It's all crazy. The mother is super cool. They're basically sisters. And then it starts to develop from there. And, you know, it, it, and that's basically the appeal of it. It is a dream relationship between a mother and daughter. But then the show just keeps getting crazy. Like everybody who lives, it's like an entire village of character actors. It's like the, <laughs> it's like this is the, the retirement home for character actors. And everyone who lives in this town is completely crazy. And eventually you start to realize there's no way this community could be self-supporting. <laughs> Someone would go crazy and kill It's a everyone. government funded program <laughs> to like keep all the weirdos out of everyone's hair. Yeah, if you've ever read um the Mr. Miracle series, they have like the town where they send all the spies. Yeah. And they're all spying on each other. That's kinda like this, but it's all the crazy people from every other sitcom has been sent to this village.